displayed things. You ever seen your, your nephew or your niece or your grandchild or someone and you see him one Christmas and then you see him the next Christmas or Thanksgiving? We don't do Thanksgiving in Australia. We're not a very thankful country. So, uh, <laughs> but you see him after a year and you think, man, how did you grow so big in one year? Uh, sort of like when you visit churches on a uh, year after year and you see them and you just think, this is just tremendous. It just always seems to be vibrant, something happening. Uh, tractors on the property, that's, uh, as your pastor said, pastors love seeing things being built and turned over and those things happening because it just doesn't mean there is uh, a piece of property being turned or some gravel on the ground or some, uh, you call it asphalt, we call it bitumen, and I realize that doesn't sound too good over here when you say that word, but uh, when you put that on the ground, uh, it just says there is progress, there is something happening, there is life, and it's just an exciting thing. Always great to be here, and I uh, appreciate having my youngest son with me, JJ, and uh, so we've got two JJs in the building, one on this side, one on that side, and uh, great to have him travel with me. This is his graduation trip, uh, I've been able to take my kids, I uh, have five kids, nine grandchildren, and each of my children, when they've graduated, have been able to take them somewhere, and uh, he wanted to come over here, and he said, I just want to go to Coastline Baptist Church. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he, um, he got the chance to go to the Lakers game the other night, and uh, with LeBron turning back up on that night just for JJ, and uh, it was tremendous, and we appreciate all the, the generosity and the friendship this church has meant to me and to uh, my family, to your pastor and his wife and their family, just a blessing to my family and uh, I love it when I come here, uh, the care of the, your people here, you'll actually ask me, how's my wife going? And I want to tell you that really means a lot to me and, uh, and she's, doing, she's doing quite well and missing us and looking forward to us getting home and I appreciate you uh, thinking of her and reminding me uh, that you do that and I really do appreciate that. Well, today's family day and it's an exciting day and as Brother Jeremy explained, family and all those things and the the, the blessing of family and what this church means to family, I, I think it's very important for us to remember that when God creates, He creates everything as an expression of His nature, of who He is. So when you look around and see creation, you'll often see figures and uh, understand God a little bit more as you can see Him in different things that he's created. Solomon would pick out different animals and speak about characteristics of wisdom, of, of grace and different areas. And we know that God is love. And since you and I were created in his image, then we were made to be loved and made to love. And that would then tell us that we are designed for relationships because our God is a very relational God. That's what he is. He wants us to relate to people, he wants us to relate to him, and he is a re he's into relationships. And the only reason that you are able to give and to receive love is because God is love and he made you. That's the reason. And so I, I, I summarize that with this statement to begin with, that every one of us are wired up for relationships. We are we're geared that way because we are created that way. That's where we are. And when we look at the scriptures, what's interesting is God uses the references to family to describe spiritual truths. He refers to himself as God our Father. He looks at us and he looks at those who are, his, those who are saved and he says, you are my children. He talks about the, the church and speaks about things being like the family of God. Uh, it's a reference to Jesus as our brother. There is this concept of 
family that God describes himself, relates it in spiritual terms, even when it comes to salvation, he speaks about that as a birth. And he says, you must be born again. And he's telling us that he is all about family and relationships. And you say, well, why is that? And the reason is, is because family is God's idea. He created it. We didn't create it. God created those things. And relationships are about love, trust, uh, and mutuality, all these things that come together. And when we think of family, what I want you to think about is this, that family, family is the absolute basic unit of society. God designed it, God thought it up, and that's where it was. He created Adam, he created Eve, husband and wife, and said, now go and have kids. And that command has obviously been uh, fulfilled in your country and is being fulfilled in our country and across the world and people have populated this world and they've continued to do that. And so when I think about family, I also know this, that we live on a broken planet because we are broken. And that tells me that there is no perfect family. There isn't a perfect family. There, there is a families who are all blended or different issues in their life and, and different things that make up different families, single families, multiple families, all different things that happen in that. Now, I understand in, in America you have uh, the, quote, American dream, and uh, what that means, Australians don't have an Australian dream, I don't know what, we don't dream, I don't know what we have, what I'm sure, but we just don't have one. And, uh, but I understand the idea of you know, the, the perfect little family, the two or three kids, the white picket fence, the dog out the back, and the, the car, everything that you have. But we also know this, that isn't always reality. That isn't reality. And yet, in spite of our sin, in spite of our suffering, in spite of uh, all, all the things that happen in their life, homes are not the young and the restless and the bold and the beautiful and all the days of our lives and everyone looking glamorous 24 hours a day. That is not how it is. What we find is God uses families in spite of their brokenness. God says, this is who I am going to work through. This is what I want to do through history. And this is where I want to be manifested in families. Now you say, well, are you talking just like husband and wife and children? I'm talking of all dynamics that make up family. Grandparents, aunties, uncles, single people, all the different areas, brothers, sisters, everything that makes up family is the relationship that God is interested in. And God said, I want to work through this. One of the great stories of the Bible that Jesus gave that speaks about family is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 15. Now, I'm not... Uh, uh, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. That's our terminology. It's not Jesus's terminology, because when you look at this parable, it's not necessarily uh, all about the son, as it is really focusing on the father. Because when you look at this parable, the son is the one who's sort of messed up, and the older son has got his issues. Uh, they're not the star of the story. The father is always the star of the story. And what I like about this parable. And what I want to draw the parallel today is that the father makes different deposits, different investments into his kids, and, and they have some type of return. And when I think about wise family investments, and that's what this topic is about today, what I, what I think about is that word investments, and I want you to keep in mind when we're talking about this today that family, family relationships are, are long-term investments. They're not short-term investments. They're, they're things that 
require a lot of work, uh, require a lot of care, but the returns are invaluable. Now, if you know the story of, the, of this uh, parable, you know the son does come back at some point in time in his life from there. But the idea of an investment says this, that you are prepared to wait for a return. You are, prepared to, you are prepared to do that, and obviously you're wanting something more from what you've put in. That's what an investment does. Uh, I think about families, and in Australia, uh, I don't think it's any different here. Uh, my, I came from a divorced family. I've got a, some people in my family who've been divorced, and what I've noticed in divorce situations is uh, many couples divorce because they don't have the patience to wait for long-term returns. And sometimes they, they break up over silly things. Uh, and, and they're just not going to put the effort in from there. And, and others, for various reasons, we understand. But I, I'm trying to put, a, put this thought across that it's about an investment. And it's not all going to happen at one time. Uh, if you invest in the stock market and the stock market dropped, most people don't panic who are wise investors. Because they understand they're not investing for the short term. They're investing over a long term and they know the stock market goes down and the stock market comes up and the stock market goes down and they invest over a period of time and when you think about relationships, I want you to think that the same way. Wise family investments is not short term, it's long term. It deals with many, many things. Uh, if there are people in the room here, I'm not sure if there's any um, people who are married over 50 years here in the room, any over 50s, here's a couple here, maybe there was a couple in the first service, and I would guarantee you that those that have been married 50 years plus have not lived a 100% happy days together their entire life, the 50 odd years. I guarantee you there have been times where there's been a few disagreements or unhappy moments in their life, probably like you would think about... Uh, you know, Ruth, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, did you ever consider divorce? She, they, she was asked, did you ever consider divorce? And she said, divorce never murder several times. So I think, <laughs> uh, I understand. And you know, in, in the home, there are got to be times where, you know, it's always, you know, the thing is, if, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But if daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody cares. So that's how it is. <laughs> and we realize there's not always going to be happy moments there are going to be that, but there is a, a, re, a relentless commitment to the institution of marriage, the home, that says we are going to push with this and work with this. Look, I know raising kids isn't easy. I've had raised five kids, and now we've got nine grandkids, and raising grandchildren is much easier. Would you agree with that, grandparents? It's lovely raising grandchildren, but you don't have to... You can just... You can feed them full of sugar... Uh, feed them full of everything and have an incredible time. They think you're the greatest people on planet Earth and then hand them back to their parents. And it's wonderful. There's wonderful times during that. But the, but the whole concept is it's going to take an investment. It's going to take an investment. Now, if you know the story that Jesus gives here, he speaks about a father with two sons. And one of them, the Bible tells us, goes prodigal. And that's what it says there in, in this early passage. In Luke, in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, the Bible says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And basically what he's saying is, Dad, just let's, let's pretend you're dead, and I get the inheritance now. Nice kid. I mean, <laughs> Dad, as far as you're concerned, just give me the money, and I want to run. Well, he, the, dad, the dad did that. And as I think about the dad, what he was really saying was this. 
He's saying, Dad, what I think about you is really this, your provisions are the best part of you. Now, we understand that potentially was his immaturity, his carnal desire, his lust for things, but that's how he was focusing. And the dad was willing at that point in time to lose his son physically to potentially gain him relationally. And so the exchange happens. He said, go ahead and see if what I have is better than who I am. And the son takes off. And you know the story. In verse 13, it continues. And it says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into the far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. That's, that simply means he went prodigal. Hence, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. Wasted everything, and off he went from there. By the time you get down to verse 17, the Bible tells us everything's gone, to, gone sour for him. It's gone south. It's gone terrible. And eventually, the son's overwhelmed, and he remembers what his father had invested in him. He remembers things back. His father comes back to his mind. And he wants to run home. In Luke chapter 15, it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. And he remembers his father's generosity, his father's grace, his father's goodness. And in verse 18, he says, And I will arise and go to my father. And what I want to draw out from this parable today is four things that I believe the Father took and did that are demonstrating what we can do in our families, because what it demonstrated was this. When that boy came to himself, he got to a point in life where he said, that home is a place I want to run to. That home is a blessing. That home is where, I, where everything about it, I just want to get back to that home. And I, I think sometimes... Homes can be places where people want to run from, where as soon as they can, they just want to get out and, 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 and for various reasons. But we want to create environments, whether it be in homes, whether it be in churches, where people say, that's where I want to run to. That's where I want to be part of. Uh, you have a vibrant children's ministry and, and teen ministry because I think children need to grow up in a church home, a church home that actually is a place, whether they go off in life, they, they think, you know what, that's the place I remember where I want to run back to. Not a place where they think, as soon as I can get out of this place, I'm gone. I just want to take off and never get back to that church. That church is judgmental, that church is critical, that church is whatever, and that's all they think about the church home. And sometimes people think that about their physical homes. And what we want to do is create environments where people say, I want to run to the blessing. That's what the father had invested into his child that caused him to say, I'm going to come back. Now, I think these are the results of wise actions, wise decisions by by parents, uh, wise investments. Some parents do it instinctively. Some parents parents do it intuitively. Some of us need more training, uh, need, need some more help along those lines. And I'm not talking of the perfect family. I'm talking of of everyone's families that are mixed up in different things. There was a young pastor who decided he was going to teach on parenting and he hadn't had any kids at that point and he got up and gave this message on, on incredible wisdom for parents. Then after he, about five years he had his first kid and he retaught that message but he retitled it, uh, Some Suggestions for Parents. 
By the time he got his teenagers through, he said, he retaught the parenting message and said, entitled it, Feeble Hints for Struggling Fellow Strugglers. <laughs> because you realize that right, it's, it's difficult. And I want to talk about some investments. Let me give you the first one you can jot down here. Letter A, or first on your notes there, is this. You, you and I, as we think through this, we ought to model receiving instruction and truth. Model receiving instruction and truth. Pick it up in Luke chapter 15 and verse 17. I want you to notice what the boy remembered what home was like. He had learnt many things from his father. He knew his father's ways, he knew his father's words, he knew his father's manners and policies, he knew all these things. Luke chapter 15 verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger and I'll arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and no more worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants. And what I noticed here was the father had obviously taught the boy or instilled in the boy either by direct teaching or by observation, it's different lessons of life. The father had hired servants, he had good work ethic, he was able to provide, he had different aspects of his business life, that somehow the boy knew, this is how my dad runs his life, this is how my dad takes care of things, this is how my dad works his, his business, this is what my dad does, his ways, his manners, all of these things and his responsibilities and he had learnt some of those things from his father, knew that of his father, whether his father had been taught that I guarantee he probably was, so he was then able to live that in his life, which tells me that home atmosphere was something that that boy had seen that prepared him for life or prepared us for what we do in life and I want to say that in our homes they ought to be a learning centre, they ought to be a place where we can teach kids and kids can teach us. How many still learn from their kids? I mean, your kids may do something and they teach you. Sometimes they humble you, sometimes they educate you. Uh, out of the mouths of babes, thou hast perfected praise. Uh, when JJ was a young boy and I was taking him to one of the famous restaurants uh, in Australia that you want to take all your children to, we call it Macca's, you call it McDonald's or Mickey D's, and for an exciting meal out with Dad, and we're driving down to McDonald's, down to Macca's, and I said to JJ, I said, JJ, I said, has Dad ever sinned? And he said to me, no, Dad, you've never sinned. And I said, just remember that the rest of your life, that's all you need to do. <laughs> but obviously, I told him, no, I do sin, and we use it as an education time, and then he would say things back. That's what life's about. And we ought to model receiving instruction and truth in a home that we are willing to grow up and do that because he, he likens the Bible, in the Bible, the Bible likens families to gardens, that, we, that we're growing up plants, that we're growing up these gardens and that tells me that every one of us is sowing things into our lives. Right, right now I'm sowing into you, I'm sowing word into you. What it does in your life will be, will be dependent on the ground it goes into but very much I need to be sowing and, and you and I are sowing into our families all the time. And what we put into our lives, we reap back at different times as well. We reap in a different season than we sow, always remember that. We reap often more than what we sow, good and bad. Right now, I'm reaping for some things I sowed in my youth. Back pains from football injuries, ankle pains from basketball injuries, finger pains from Australian Rules football injuries, uh, being an idiot trying to surf on cyclone surf, you call it hurricanes, we call it cyclones, 
and, and thinking, you know what, let's be a bravado and take off on a massive, big, gigantic wave in cyclone surf. Stupidity. And now I'm reaping the consequences of that. And many of you, how many can say, amen, I'm reaping, reaping the consequences of foolish childhood and youthful pursuits, and we do that. But think about your family. Let me ask you, what are you sowing into your family now? What are you sowing into your sisters, your brothers, your aunties, your uncles, your nephews, your nieces, your grandchildren, all those different areas, your own children? What are you sowing into their lives? As grandparents, what are you sowing into their lives? People say, you know, uh, Pastor Bax, I wish I could have uh, learned some of these things earlier in my life, but we can learn them now. And you can always sow. You can always sow things. What are you teaching them? What examples are you setting them? How are you preparing them to walk with Christ? Let me tell you, in every home, there are things that we can teach and sow. We, can, we sow all the time about relationships. We sow that. You learn in a relationship, uh, good, bad, right, wrong, effective, ineffective relationships. We ought to teach one another how to resolve problems and work out problems. Uh, when my kids were little and they would fight and fuss, I would always try to get them to say, if they, when they had to come to apologise and you bring them together, instead of just saying, I'm sorry, I would want them to say, please forgive me. There's something about saying the words, forgive me. And so, because they would come together and they would have a little tussle and then they would say, sorry. And you say, no, 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 we're not, not the sorry. We want to say, please forgive me. And there's something about teaching these principles because it's building relationships in their life from there, building character. A lot of characters taught from home. It's going to be taught, it's going to be caught. Uh, there are things that happen. Uh, you know, you're teaching your kids, you know, be honest and always be honest and always tell the truth. And then the phone rings and then you say, tell them I'm not here. And they kind of, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, you're sort of teaching character the whole time. You're teaching values. What's important? What do you prioritize in life? What are the, what are the things you want to pass on? And by the way, this is the responsibility of parents. Thou shalt teach thy children diligently. Not the government, not the school, not even the church. They all have their part, but ultimately the parent is responsible for these things to pass this on. Number two, let me give you this one. Make home a refuge for the family. Make home a refuge for the family. Uh, when this boy gets home, he, he's met with acceptance, he's met with love, he's met with a sense of belonging, a sense of security. Look in verse 20, the Bible says, And when he arose and came to his father... But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and notice this, and had what? Compassion. That's a great word. And ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And what he teaches us here is that home's a place where you can muck up, and you can still come back to. It's a place of forgiveness. There, there is a place of acceptance. Uh, yeah, granted, they may not approve of what you've done, but they accept you. And you can come back to that place and know there is a safety there, there is a shelter there, there is a security there from the storms of life, and we all have storms that hit us. And how we respond through the storms is going to be different in all of us. And, and sometimes some families go through one storm and, and they stick together and others go through another storm and it falls apart. But nonetheless, God is saying, make sure your home is a refuge. People need a refuge. In Proverbs chapter 14, in verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of 
refuge. And a lot of that determines in our homes on the attitudes and the actions of parents. Do you create an attitude and a place of refuge where your children say, it's safe to run there, where, where other people feel like, I can come to that place because there will be all types of storms. Change will be a massive storm that hits homes. Change of job, change of lifestyle, change, change of, of location. Uh, sometimes illness or death can create a change in a home. And a home needs to become a refuge where they say, I want to run to that place. Uh, failures can become a storm where people fail because they, they, they failed, they got turned down at work for the promotion or, or they get an F on their grade at school or they didn't make the team or they go bankrupt or whatever it is and, and the home needs to be a place of refuge where they know I've got a fan club at home. No matter what happens in my failures or my rejections of life, I have a refuge and it could be a difficult things, and, and we know with children especially, I mean, uh, kids can be very cruel to one another in the school playground, and they need a place to be able to come home, they say, this is my refuge, this is a place of security, this is a place of shelter, this is a place where I can come to, it, it ought to be a place of safety. I had a young boy at our church one time, and I, I went to just sort of give him a pat on the back to encourage him, and you know, as in parenting, you've got to sort of know which end to pat at times because sometimes you've got to make the discernment. But I, I just went to encourage him and just pat him on the back. And as I came down to pat him on the back, he's gone, mm. And right then I realised what the hand meant to him. That that hand in his home was not a hand of refuge. That, that hand was whatever has been happening in that poor boy's home. And I realized that's, that family did not have a place of refuge. And you can imagine the emotions that go through your mind and the questions that happen. Simply a boy flinches with a hand. And, and that ought not be the case. It ought to be a place where people say, I can run to that place. That's my place of refuge. Let me give you the, the next one. We ought to magnify our relationship with God. And I think this is very important. In, in this passage, I want you to notice what, when this boy realized his need... It wasn't just about a relationship with the Father, it was about a relationship with God. Now, notice what the boy says in verse, 15, in verse 21. And the son said unto him, talking to his dad, Father, and notice the order, I have sinned against who? Heaven. He says, you know, the first and foremost, I've messed up with God. And he felt safe enough to come home and tell his dad that. He felt there was a place, but someone taught him that. Who taught him to put God first? Somewhere that was magnified in his life. That someone magnified a relationship with God and said, this is important. This is a priority. Don't put this second, third, fourth, or fifth, or sixth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Put this first in your life from there. And recognize that, you ha yes, there is an issue. You must keep that relationship with God. He said, I have sinned against heaven. Secondly, and in thy sight... And in thy sight, yeah, I've offended you, Dad. I've, I know I've done some things that have gone against the family values or whatever it may have been. And you can talk about those things. But the point was this. He felt very secure and safe to be able to come home and tell them this. It was a place he wanted to run to and recognize that in this home, I've learned something that I need to magnify my relationship with God. And that is one thing we ought to invest in our children, invest in our grandchildren, invest in our brothers and sisters and say, this is something we ought to, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
We, we have to put God first in these areas and, and think about opportunities where you can, you can serve God together and work with different things together and, and minister together. You know, I was um, thinking at times, you ever seen that point where you, your people ca- categorize God? Uh, well, this is what comes first in my life. God comes first, then my family, and then work. You ever seen that situation? And then someone, someone will say, well, uh, you know, you should never put the church ahead of your family. And I always think that's a little bit silly because I thought church was God. I thought everything serving God was that ought to be my family. I want us, we all, all want to go to church together. We want to put God first. It's an opportunity for worshiping God. It's an opportunity for serving God. Let's just put God first in everything as a family. Let's put Him first and put those things together. Because I think that makes a huge difference where we're not saying, oh, this is separate and this is separate. We're just saying, family, let's just find opportunities to put God together. Let's serve together. Let's vacuum the carpet together. Let's clean the windows together. Let's do whatever we can do together. Let's, this is a chance for us as a family to magnify God together. Come and magnify Him together. I, I was talking to the first service on some things about... Uh, a relationship and building relationships and and I, I noticed with my kids um, when, when they were very little I it was a different relationship I had with them like JJ's uh, 17 he'll be 18 this year uh, and my oldest one he's 33 I think he is now and I you ever forget your kids ages anyway do they oh thank you and I and I, I remember I'm there and and then when they were very little, I, I was like a king in their life. My wife was the queen. And the whole issue was obedience. Listen, this is the rules, this is the basic, and just do this. And we were, we were very, very strict, a little bit over strict. Uh, and, but then we learned that we needed to move to a role of becoming counsellor. As they got older, it wasn't about being their king. It was about being their counsellor and guiding them in life and directing them in life and giving some advice and helping them see the Holy Spirit can guide them and the Word can guide them to the point where as they got older, especially my older three, I'm, I'm more their friend. I'm not so much, yeah, I give counsel, I'm not there, and they might honour me as, a, as their parent, like a king, I suppose, if you think about it that way, but I'm more, I'm more in a friendship role. It's more of a role where now I'm their friend and I'm working with them and, and the difficulty in parenting is where all of a sudden you try to be the friend when you should be the king. Or you try to you, you get them out of order, and like JJ, he's he's sort of in that in that role of where I'm his counselor. I'm I'm moving through, and we're building a friendship. But we're we're building that. And with my mum, my mum's 78, 79 now. She she's not my. I'll always honour her as my queen. And yeah, I'll get some counsel from her. But you know what? We really are. We're friends. And you do so much for a friend. And, you just, and, and she's taught me so much. She's been someone who's modelled receiving instruction for me. She's been someone who has just been there and been a refuge for me and made that. And she's been someone there who's just magnified a relationship with God. And I tell you what that really means is when you start to build that in a friendship, it means so much more. Building that right relationship with people. And it t- brings me to my last point. And this is very important. It's maintain a relaxing and enjoyable home. Notice something that's present here. Home should be a a haven for happiness. It should be a place that we find that when the son come home, I want you to notice what he found. But the father, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe 
and put it on him. I don't know where he got that from, but I don't know whether he went down to uh, H&M or somewhere else or wherever he went, but he got it from somewhere. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Nike's Converse, I'm not sure which one he picked. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Not so good for the calf, but good for everybody else. And let us eat and notice what it says and be what? Merry. Let's have a happy home. For this my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found and they began to be merry and it never tells us they stopped. Because home ought to be a place where you can relax, a place where you can enjoy, where you can kick back, it's, it's easy, it's enjoyable. Yes, there is chores. Yes, there are times of correction. Yes, there are times where, you can, where things need to be sorted out. But it ought to be such a refuge and a place where you can come to and say, at least I can get back to a place of relaxing a place where it's enjoyable. Uh, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 9, to live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of thy life. Live joyfully. He's telling us this ought to be a place of happiness. When uh, the Queen of Sheba came and saw what Solomon had built, the Bible tells us that one of her comments was this, as I noticed all the construction, I noticed everything you did, here's what I really noticed, happy are thy servants and happy are thy people there's just a sense of happiness have you ever been to a home where you get to that place and it's just like so tense there's just a tension all the time and i want to tell you that's a place where people just want to go take off from you ever been to a church where it's like that and it's not happy it's it's just like they this you know guilty is synonymous with godly and you kind of think the more guilty you are, the more godly you are. And it's just like a very somber, what is this place? And God says, no, no, no. You ought to, I want my home to be a place that's a refuge where my relationship with you is upheld, where you, where you receive instruction and truth. And it's a place where you can relax and enjoy. It's a place where we can have this fellowship. That's God's home, but that ought to be our home's. And it all comes back to building that relationship and making those wise family investments, pulling these things together. And I think it all starts in the home with the parents. Sometimes you just got to lighten up a little bit. Um, I, I think <clears throat> my eldest three children, because we had three children when we were first married, very young, and we had about an eight-year gap and then a five-year gap to JJ. So we sort of raised two families and the older ones, they always tell us, Dad, you're so easy on JJ and you're so easy on this. And, and uh, well, he's the youngest. He's the baby of the family. And, but it really what it was, we tell them, well, you know what? You guys were guinea pigs. We didn't have a clue what we were doing with you. <laughs> and uh, we made a lot of mistakes. And these guys get all the benefits. They get all the blessing and all the fun stuff. But really what we're saying is, in those early years, man, we were just ridiculously strict and over the top and... We didn't have a clue what we're doing and I tell you why we're often that way because we were afraid of what everyone used to think about us as a parent and then we realized you know, it doesn't really matter we just want to make sure we're godly parents and doing what we can and loving our kids and enjoying our kids and that's what made a huge difference and so we can do things and we can enjoy and make our home enjoyable and now they're just about all gone we've only got one left at home and then when he goes it'll be really enjoyable it would be a <laughs> be wonderful but thank you for having us i hope there's been a helpful instruction on family day as you think about wise family investments thank you pastor <clears throat>
Thank you. 